Hello, and welcome to the Becoming Lit podcast. I'm your host, Anne Fancy, and I am truly grateful you are here with me today. This podcast is dedicated to having deep and honest, raw and soulful conversations around what it means to be an embodied soul living this messy human existence. We'll dive into storytelling, into asking hard questions, exploring wonders of the universe and digging into some weird stuff. But the whole point here together is that we look deeply into our own life, into our own truth, into our own soulful alignment, and that we peel away everything that doesn't serve. And we step into exactly who we intend to be, to embody as much light as possible, and to shift and change this world for the better. I'm grateful for your presence here, for all the ways you show up in your life, and of course, for lighting up your own corner of the world. Well, I'm back. Thank you for showing up here today. I am thrilled to get what we might call the next season of my podcast going. And, you know, for me, consistency is not a strong point, but the willingness to keep coming back is part of my life lessons. So here we are, fall 2021, and I'm with one of my nearest and dearest friends, the wise Lori Lipton, who... um was a gifted shaman, medium, teacher, healer, soul retriever. She's a phenomenal person. And uh, this is just she and I talking like we often do, but discussing much of, of what it means to live an intuitive life, how that plays into your life and how we can each activate that. And then what it means for the world when we teach our children to stay connected to intuition, to listen to their gut, um, and when we do that ourselves. If you are not already following Lori, you must. She is on Facebook primarily and a little bit on Instagram. You can also check out her website to book a session with her, Lori Lipton, L-I-P-T-E-N. So sorry, I should tell you her first name too. L-O-R-I-L-I-P-T-E-N.com. And uh, the other thing you'll definitely want to think about doing for yourself is that if this resonates with you and you felt connected to your intuition, but not really knowing what to do with that, I highly recommend that you look into her IPC program. That program will be starting soon in November 2021, though it does go on um, yearly, at least it has lately. So if you're listening to this somewhere out in the future, check in and find out when the next session is starting. It is online and you can access it from anywhere. It stands for Intuitive Practitioner Certification and it's really a broad brush of a way to start to understand who you are, your intuitive gifts, how to use those skills, talents um, in the world in a either personal way or professional way. So she's one of the best. Her heart is clear. Her intent is clear. And uh, she's just got this loving vibe. She's also pretty funny, but I don't know how funny we were on this podcast specifically. All right. I hope you're all doing well. Um, thank you for being here. Of course, as always, please um, rate, subscribe, and send this out to people you care about. Um, I have some more events coming up soon, as well as potentially another mentorship that I mentioned in this group. Um, or in this uh, podcast today. 
Um, and I'm working on anchoring in some retreats for the future. So keep me uh, uh, in your in your feed so that we can stay connected and you can see what I'm up to. Um, thank you so much for being here as always. And thank you for listening. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome. I am really excited to be back. Life feels, you know, as normal as it's felt in the last year and a half or so. And I'm with my dear friend, Lori Lipton, who I lovingly coerced into coming back on the podcast. So hi, Lori. Thanks for being here. Hi, Anne. I'm so happy to be here with you. Good. So, you know, we've been um, in close communication, uh, (laughs) you know, daily, a hundred times a day for the last couple of years as we've been through all of this like COVID world and life. And, you know, I have so many directions we could go in this conversation. And, and so we'll just see how it goes, but it's been a wild ride. Um, and I think that um, what will be so interesting to talk about here together is just navigating such an uncertain time. And, and then also like, what's the human experience versus spirit and how we've, how you've navigated it, how we've talked about it, like all the things. So number one, how are you feeling? Hey, feeling great. Babe. <laughs> okay, good. Good. And um, you know, you write such beautiful posts. So if you guys don't follow Lori online, you absolutely need to follow her because she has an incredible way with words. You have such incredible inspiration. I would say, like, first let's just hear from you. How how has it been for you the last year and a half or so? How have you felt it during COVID? You know, what's what's your overall feel? Well, there's so many ways I can answer that question. Um, let me let me back up by saying that I had some intuitive awareness that a pandemic was coming, but no real application, no real understanding of what that was really going to feel like for me or for the rest of the world and how the world would respond. So for me, it's not necessarily been the most comfortable year and a half on many levels. Um, it, it's been a lot of adjustment, letting go, and it's an invitation for me to live more deeply connected to my intuition and to spirit. And for me, that's saying a lot because I, but it also shows me and brought up for me I would call it the shadow. And I think the shadow is here on the collective. And I think the shadow for me personally was my own fears, my own discomfort with change and isolation, even the witnessing of how the world is responding to what it doesn't understand. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's not really new on the age or through an intuitive lens, but it's been put into sharp focus. Yeah. It's interesting to hear you like, because as your friend, what I've also witnessed for you is probably a dance that you move through often. And that I think is really relatable that we all move through, which is, you know, you get this intuitive hit, you have this thing drop in, you know, these things. And then you're like, which, which is what we've done this whole time with our dear friend, Shannon is who's crazy us or them. And I mean that with, you know, tongue in cheek and, uh, and, We've all had to gut check ourselves and really intuitive check ourselves over and over and over again. And 
you know, what's interesting is that I think people from the outside would think that like you're always so certain around what comes in intuitively because you're so um, talented and gifted at discerning that. But in truth, you have had the same human experience the rest of us have had, which is, you know, what is true and who do I trust and our fears getting the best of us and, you know, from the grocery washing days to where we are now. Right. And and so I think what's so relatable is that that this is what you talk about often and we talk about often and is that this is like the shift towards um, or the opportunity to shift towards an intuitive understanding while still dancing in like human form and as a human being on this planet. Well, I, I would say it like this and and um, and of course, you and I have spoken about this quite a bit, but, I, you know, I am like all of us, spirit in a body, right? And I have a personality and a story and all that goes with that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I have access. I'm like amazed and grateful and humbled by the fact that I have access to this intuitive wisdom. I've worked at it. I cultivate it. I still work at it. That's a work in progress that will be my whole life. But that doesn't mean that, and I do think there's a misnomer that there's like you don't have a curiosity and a, a, at, a, at a minimum, a reverence and an awe for what's coming in. Because even to get information that an, in a pandemic is coming, it's like, you know, I, when I was told a tsunami was coming or this pandemic, I, I didn't put a lot of credence into it. That That's for me to, you know, to discover why. But do I still have human responses to reality, of course, mm-hmm. you know, I have my intuitive knowing, and I could actually have them all happening at once, which yeah. is really rich and exciting. I mean, if you want to put it through that, <laughs> right, because right. I can feel like, oh, very clearly, like, we're good. Don't drop into fear. That's something that my guides have said right from the beginning. And so then, and then the reality is, and feel the piece of that. At the same time, while feeling fear, mm-hmm. noticing it and having to navigate through my own story as my intuitive wisdom is still at the wheel, but my story is, is rising, comes up and it's gives me great opportunities to experience humility on a mm-hmm. basis. <laughs> <laughs> so, so for the, you know, listeners and, and people who feel like they, like they, they want what you have, right? Like, and this is something you always say all the time, like intuitive is innate. Um, How does like, and you, I just heard you say that, you know, intuition is still driving the car, at least for the most part, even though your fear might be putting the brakes on while you're still trying to hit the gas pedal. Um, How does the average Joe or like how, what does that process look like for you? Or how do you teach others? Because we're going to talk about your program coming up um, later, but um, how do you teach others to like learn to lean into that intuitive process more fully? Nothing like uh, interrupting my own podcast with a little plug for my fall retreat. It is coming up quickly here, November 2nd through the 5th. There was a little date change due to some logistics and making it more accessible for everyone. Uh, Go check out more info on my website at anfancy.com backslash retreat, or feel free to reach out with any questions you might have. 
Um, They do fill up and I would love to have you there this fall or sometime in the future. Okay, back to the recording. Thanks, guys. Great. So, okay, a couple things that I would say. First of all, it is innate because intuition, as I understand it, is the language of the soul. So, unless you don't have a soul. Uh, <laughs> I hope you do. <laughs> right. And you do. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and then, so therefore you have the capacity to understand, to connect to that innate GPS, that, you know, that language and begin to honor it. And everybody has it. Everybody can cultivate it. And for me, it started with the willingness to recognize that there was something in my body trying to communicate with me that was persistent that was, you know, um, and that was not necessarily aligned with my thought. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of a first things first is, it, am I even willing to acknowledge that there could be something, I didn't even use the language intuition, there's something here. I have a gut feeling or I have a knowing or I am sensing something or I smell something that other people don't smell or, you know what I'm saying? So it's acknowledging it first and foremost, and then Mm -hmm. um, deciding that I'm going to take this seriously. I'm going to find out what it means to me and then learning what is, you know, what does that even, what does that even um, consist of? And for me, it began with the acknowledgement and then the willingness to listen to that, which is higher than my mind. So I kind of put a caveat on it and say it, I said it like that, I'm willing to like tune in and discover what is higher than my mind, what is greater than my mind can conceive of. And I would be surprised by how things drop in and they drop in through the sensory system and give myself permission to feel that and be willing to be wrong, Mm -hmm. be willing to play in it. Not try to be like, I now am intuitive and I am the answer to, you know, it is really being willing to go, you know, I'm just going to play with this and see if I can know this and discover, oh yeah, that was a yes or that's a no and really willing to, um, you know, to practice with it and play, play, play is the word to become Mm -hmm. reverent, but playful with it. Um, And I think that's the word because when we're innocent, we're children before we get into, you know, full indoctrination of our educational system or religion or dogma, that's the way we're living. Mm -hmm. We're living in that state, like Mm -hmm. kids responding to energy all day long, communicating that response to energy all day long without calling it psychic or anything. They're just saying what they're feeling. They're telling us what they know. They're describing situations and circumstances that are not always evidenced by physical reality. Right, right. It's really interesting because, um, you know, I'm leading a mentoring group for uh, teacher trainers and um, my lovely neighbor who you have met, um, Sarah, introduced me to this concept of, and I think you were there, the three bead concept, which is that if you imagine your your beingness, and even more than that, they they also call it like the intelligences um, that you've got head, heart, and body. And if you imagine where you fall on a string, right? And then the, the notion is one, can I reflect on that and just like see what I think is my dominant 
intelligence. And then if you look at your least, uh, your most passive way of engaging in the world and you focus your energy there, it shifts. But that's not really where I want to go with this. What's interesting is that to me, as I was teaching about this and then talking about it in class and like really thinking about it, not only do we have like what are considered above and below the line behaviors, right? So your mind, when above the line is the compassionate witness, it's the voice of reason, it's higher self, the wise self, it's, you know, it's like, it's that even keeled kind of version of your own Eastern, Eastern medicine or Eastern studies would probably call it intellect, I think, if I remember correctly. And then, you know, the, the overactive mind that still might be the top bead is anxious and hypercritical and an analysis paralysis. And like, it can be so dominant, but not necessarily in a good way. And what I was thinking about both today, earlier in my day, and then just listening to you about children, is that like part of this whole masculine energy, the whole way our world has worked is to overemphasize. And we were both raised in similar households that were very intellectual and cerebral, right? And so everything was filtered through that intelligence, so to speak. And I think what I'm hearing you say is what I was thinking about today is that kids are innately heart centered, right? From that analogy and intuition is of the heart, right? And, and body, like they're in their bodies until there's a good reason to get out of them, which for some of us looks like being HSP, a highly sensitive person or an empath or trauma or a difficult childhood, or just the fact that the world is, you know, there's pain and you feel it as a little kid. And so it's really interesting just to even think of what you're saying because it's intuition. And, and and let me just back up one more step. If all of these things are ideally working and, fu- you know, functioning well, then all of your beads would be at the top and they would kind of flip through like which ones are in charge at different times, potentially at, at different points in your life. But even more so, it's really about that they all are like a check and balance system for each other. Yes. I, I, um, so let me say a couple of things. You're, you're saying a lot and it's all rich. And what I would say is we are fundamentally multi-sensory beings living in a world that's over uh, reliant on the intellect. Mm-hmm. And when you are highly sensitive, which is you alluded to, which is very different than having trauma. So in, highly sensitive is just an orientation where about 18, 20% of the world's population is, is connected to that multi-sensory experience of reality and they don't lose it. Mm-hmm. I think everybody is relatively highly sensitive, but about 80% of the world's population drops out of it, loses mm-hmm. with it and starts relying mostly on the intellect or shuts down. Whereas highly sensitive people can't shut it down. They can try and they do. And I have, and we can talk about that, but that's other, right? So the reality is we're experiencing all three things all the time. Our Mm -hmm. intellect, Mm -hmm. our heart, our body, that's our multi-sensory processing. And I don't think one is superior to another. I, I don't even necessarily think intuition is superior, but what I do know about intuition at, at this level of awareness thus far is that when you get out of the way of it, when you let it just drop in, because it does, it's pure, it's, it's unbiased, it doesn't have a political affiliation, it's a non-religious affiliation, it's not, um, it doesn't have a need to be right, 
It doesn't have any sort of coercive quality to it. It just gives you kind of information that it's giving to you to know and to know through whatever sense you're willing to allow it to emerge through. Mm -hmm. And then when you get out of the way of it, it creates a real, a, a deeper awareness of that neutral sort of reality that exists beyond our bias, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. So. Yeah. And I think that's what I was like, as I, you know, I'd like to unpack things as I speak them often. That's one of my processing ways. And as I was talking about it with the, with the mentors or the mentees and, and um, this class this morning, I was exactly, I was coming to exactly what your point is, is that we, our culture has said this one's the right one and this is the bad one and, and whatever else. And our, and our culture disconnects us from our body. Plus there again, if we're all born sensitive, which I agree with you. And they're also saying the number of HSP children is on the rise, which doesn't yeah. surprise me. Right. right. Um, and that would go to your point that you just made. But um, what's so interesting to me is that is it's twofold. We've my experience in learning yogic things has delegitimized emotion. And I always wonder if it's a semantic thing or, or what, but it's like that the intellect is the only thing to be trusted and your emotional body is not to be trusted because it can mislead you. And, and I think it's so interesting. And that may be just my, my own impression of what I was hearing. I can't, I can, I will not pretend that I'm reading any Eastern philosophy on any regular occasion anymore. Um, It doesn't connect very well with me, but I've heard it. I've heard it spoken enough times that that I feel like that is at least what I'm hearing, whether or not it's the intent. Now, the piece of that that's so interesting to me is that, you know, first of all, that's just patriarchy and oppression again, because intuition and the feminine are being, you know, downplayed and shoved and you're crazy and you don't know things and you don't sense that. And that's not I didn't say that or I didn't do that. And it's like, well, you didn't need to. I just felt all of it from you. Um, But that the other piece of that is that we've become so disconnected from our bodies and our culture because our bodies have been turned into this like, you know, a commodity in some ways. And also this place to put our dissatisfaction um, on ourselves and make sure that we're unworthy. So we keep purchasing. So that's a whole nother sidebar. But then if we don't trust our bodies and we're not in our bodies, we can't connect to the feeling of our bodies, which is the way the intuition, our heart often speaks to us through that. Right. And so it's just this fascinating, like, tapestry to me to think about like how do we as human beings not only from a like society perspective change this which I know is part of your mission personal soul mission right and mine too to some degree or very similarly um but just like the unpacking of all of this and like what I think you so beautifully do is give people permission to enter back into communication with these various ways that this all comes into play you know, I what to me what you're describing, it touches me very deeply in my heart, and and for me, I think you know intuition is so sacred, right? We've denied the feminine in most of the history that we know that we understand is a male story mm-hmm. reality. So even all the precious grace, the gifts that we have received from the yogic traditions or Buddhist traditions or Judeo-Christian traditions are all filtered through a male consciousness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
all of the female way of processing, as we're going to call it, feminine, divine feminine, that intuitive medicine, that intuitive wisdom has been turned into something that was negative, something to deny, something to avoid, repress, shut down, written out of history. I have chills. And so for me, it is it is reclamation. It is coming back home to that which cannot be denied. It exists. It didn't go away. It's just seeking expression. And so here on this planet, you and I happen to, you know, cross paths and find each other and reconnect. And here we look at each other, even though we're born, you know, 20 years apart. And you and I recognize within one another, not only a soul recognition, but a unified purpose, a purpose of bringing us home to both of us to stand in that intuitive power beyond, including and beyond the patriarchal identity that would tell us that only the intellect matters, the body and emotion are somehow inferior. Mm -hmm. We know that that's absolutely an untruth. And one thing we know now, like even when we look at science, for example, Darwinism, which said that, you know, what is the only the fit, uh, the strong survive, basically, right? We know that that's actually not true. We know now through research and the willingness to break from our paradigms that it's the collaboratives that survive. Mm. Collaboration and cooperation, which is the heartbeat of intuition. That actually is the fundamental truth that is seeking to be expressed through us. And so to me, I feel a deep sense of responsibility. Now, I didn't pick this path because I was like, I have a noble purpose. Mm -hmm. It's not what called me. It was like basically saving my life from my own maladaptive ways of coping with trying to be a sensitive in a world, dealing with trauma. But even if I hadn't had trauma, I was still trying to, how do I navigate this world that doesn't have space for me, doesn't know what to do with me, doesn't see my way of experiencing, expressing, processing energy is valid. Mm -hmm. And so for a long time, I shut it down. I used alcohol and drugs to try to shut that down. I've used a lot of things. So if anybody wants some tips on that, (laughs) food, there's shopping, there's, you know, I say all the time in class, let me know. All of the ways and every one of us who's in a human body can understand that Mm -hmm. the human body isn't comfortable yet on this planet, right? It's uncomfortable. So for me, and I'm still working through that. I mean, it's not like I went and had a wake up and then, you know, it was like, oh, I'm free. You know, it is a process, a journey of coming home to who I am, no longer letting the culture decide that what I am is, you know, weird. Mm -hmm. I don't like that label. I reject it outright or I embody it outright either way, because to me, it's just bullshit. It's just another way to not connect with what I am saying as if it has power, meaning, and a place at the table Mm -hmm. like anything else. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm, I have so many thoughts. It's like 
the invalidation and we could like go down a wormhole, I'm sure a rabbit hole of, um, of why <laughs> the seers and the, and the knowers and the women and why that was so vital to be, um, or, or why it was so oppressed like globally and across the board, um, which is so fascinating. I mean, not globally because plenty of indigenous cultures didn't lose that, um, stayed much more harmonious, but I won't, we won't pretend that they're all perfect either. Cause no, they're not, no. they're not, I don't want to glorify that. I just now will name it like you might think this is weird. It's like I want to placate to the ego that's going to resist and my own ego that resists and step in anyway. Right. And so, you know, because I remember you telling me you don't like woo woo. And I'm like, I love woo woo because it's just like, listen, this I'm basically telling you right now, I'm about to push outside of what you think, or at least in my experience was was the same way outside of what I think is is normal or acceptable or whatever, which I agree right is a little bullshit. But yeah. either way, I agree with you. You know, um, I would love to talk about let's I would love to talk about from this from this perspective um, around intuition. And well, let's save that one for a second. How about being in the body is uncomfortable? You just said that being in the human form is uncomfortable. Right. You said something to that effect. Yeah. Let's talk about what that's like. Like, what do you think? Like from a soul spirit connection is it the confine of human form? Is it that we're, it's, you know, what we, how about this? Explain backward your understanding of what it feels like to be back at source in that, like, like in the collective. And then, and then that will make, I think, what you said more understandable to someone who might not be as deep into the, you know, this understanding as you and I are. Let, let's, let me do my best to respond to that and help me out if you think I'm, if there's more or some refinement. So you asked a profound question. What's it like to be back at source? (laughs) Do you know you're like the third person asked me that question in the past 24 hours? Mm. So, and I don't get asked it very often. My understanding of what it's like to be back at source based on conversations with those who have experienced that, aside from my own um, direct experience of samadhi, which I have had and uh they're profound is the is this feeling of limitless expansiveness that you are all that is and the void all at once that you are at one with all of creation that there's a harmonic that you're experiencing so there's this sort of tone that you're experiencing that creates like a unity with all that is, that can be expressed and experienced as bliss or love. I tend to focus on love because it just happens to be a vibrational harmonic in my soul purpose. Um, But that love can be kindness, compassion. Um, It can be prosperity and abundance. So it's beyond the material and including the material. And it's a sense of being infinite and timeless and that all it is is happening right here, right now in this moment. Is that a simple answer? So then what happens is that this soul self decides for some reason, the jury's still out on why that happens. <laughs> some reason why that soul says, hey, This is grand and amazing and all that I ever need to experience. But let's try a human experience 
on this place called planet that still perceives itself as operating in 3D. And I'm going to take a small aspect of my soul. So my let's say my soul is the size, let's just use a strange analogy, the size of a football field. And I'm just going to take uh, 10 yards of that football field and I'm going to place that into a physical body. So the rest of my energy is going to stay connected to source, always connected, which is how you have that intuition and that infinite knowing. That's where it comes from because your soul is always in that, has that access. And I'm going to squish that down, compact it and put it into a body. And then I'm going to put on this avatar. I'm going to put on this form, this physical form, and I'm going to choose players and I'm going to play like a simulation like a holographic simulation that I think is going to help my soul evolve or know itself or, and I'm going to hide my power. I'm going to hide my infiniteness behind what we might call an ego or a mind, right? I'm going to hide it all different kinds of places and challenges and loss and bereavement. I'm going to hide it in all these places And then I'm going to go in and then I'm going to forget that I'm as big as that football field or bigger than I'm infinite and all the great things that I, and I'm going to come into this body and I'm going to start believing that I'm this avatar. I'm going to forget that there was a whole purpose to it, that there's a blueprint. And then I'm actually in a sort of like a video game, but I'm, and I'm actually the one who wrote the program and control the movement of the play and even decide what players are going to come in and how they're going to interact with me. I forget all that. So when we just step back and we just think of it just from that level of consciousness, that's, excuse my language, but it is your show. (laughs) It's fucking unbelievable that we do. Mm -hmm. And then we, of course, like get trapped in the story and feel like it's real. And we are so in it. We've all had those moments of watching a movie. We are sitting on our couch, or we used to in the olden days going to movie here. And we feel like, oh my God, like don't, you know, like don't open the door, don't open the door. And we know we're safe. We know it's all, and we're still in it. So that's what it's like to immerse in a physical body. Mm-hmm. Yes, I think that helps people to hear it from that language. I think that, um, oh, I think a lot of things. Um, I was thinking about how it's like when you drop in and you have all that intuitive knowledge and then you like muffle it, but you talked about yeah. that, like get you like muffle it. So it's like hearing through, it's like playing telephone underwater. And That's so you're like trying to, to discern that, to remember that you, that you have this tool. And, and one of the things that I was thinking about when you, when you said like, and you drop in and you're like, you know, when you basically, you have this map, but you can't see it and you just kind of kind of walk and feel your way through it. And I was thinking about how, you know, when you are working on a book, which I'm, we're all very excited about. And we, we together, um, you interviewed or you spoke to my, my buddy, Brian, who's in spirit and, I think one of the questions we asked, and he may have even had to defer to his guide, if I remember correctly about that one, was like, why are we putting ourselves into this when it feels like so much suffering so often? And he was basically like, because it's it's the whole experience is worth it. 
And, you know, and like even in um, Michael Newton's books, it's like the same idea, like our souls actually, to some degree, enjoy the process and the growth and the um, experience of of feeling, which is really unique, my understanding, unique to this planet to some degree. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that like basically we come in and we forget that it's a game and you forget that you have power and you forget that you can, you know, get the flower power and then expand your energy even bigger and make everything easier for yourself. So imagine then if you're raised in a culture that doesn't forget that mm-hmm. to a large extent, indigenous people did not forget that. Mm-hmm. And, and well, and again, I'm not idealizing them. I'm going to use them because they're less indoctrinated, right? So to a large extent, they did not. And so they would raise their children to be connected to the great mystery or great spirit or, you know, the, what we, I am calling intuition Mm -hmm. universe, the divine. I I don't like sometimes language snags us because it pulls us into that dogma and that's not where I'm coming from. So that, which is greater than the mind. And so we have it. Imagine what it would be like if we raised our children, if they're, they go to kindergarten or first grade. And instead of, you know, starting with a class lesson that the first thing they do is breathe, connect into their body. What would it be like if their teachers looked at in the eye, looked them in the eyes and connected heart to heart with them and really began to feel into who is this person sitting here, not a seven-year-old that I need to teach something, but a seven-year-old in a body as a spirit, my spirit is now the steward of. Mm-hmm. And how am I supposed to respond to that child? I have chills. And that's a very different process that we have decided isn't as important as knowing math. hmm or knowing science, or knowing facts, mm-hmm. and of how do you listen to your body? How do you listen to that intuition? How does it become a vital sensory tool for you in this life? So then what happens, that blueprint doesn't mean like you magically know your blueprint. It means it's you lose the disconnect, and you build a bridge to it which is waiting for you always anyway. Mm-hmm. If you don't, guess what happens? You will meet it in a crisis. You will meet it when you get cracked open. You will meet it in those moments where you know something bigger is happening that you don't understand. That's mm-hmm. how it will show up. Mm-hmm. 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 And you'll try again the next life. You'll pick a new body and a new blueprint. And you'll do it again, trying to learn the same lessons, you know? Right. And yeah. if, if and it and we often think, and you and I have talked about this to a certain extent, you know, you've heard me, I struggle with this as, to a certain extent, like soul lessons and why we put hardship in it when we don't have to. I don't like to see suffering, neither do you. You know, we're both not wanting to see suffering on the planet, and yet there there is some growth that can occur through it. Now, we are at a point in history in our evolutionary trajectory, if this information is correct, that's coming through to me, where we're getting to choose 
to soften the blows, to up-level ourselves into a much more deliberate relationship with our intuition so that duality isn't running the show so much so that the only way for transformation to happen is through pain. Mm. We can live more intuitively. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we won't still feel and have those. That's where I think a lot of illusion comes in. A lot of storytelling is, you know, I will just be, you know, like God in a body. Well, maybe, but first you'll probably just be very intuitive. You know? Right. <laughs> right. So what is that? <laughs> what does that look like then? This is always my question to you. And I, and I think I, I think I understand the answer to some extent. So like, this is the conversation when you talk about 3D and people are like, what? I don't know what the hell she means. So 3D is this this dual perspective that human beings have been functioning on with and in for so long, which feels limited and small and right and wrong and black and white, which is what we're seeing in COVID world and Black Lives Matter and Me Too movement and all of the things that are happening right now that people are gripping so tightly to these these extremes, this or that. And it's I light and darkness. Mm -hmm. false it's i am uh, god or divinity or supreme consciousness is outside me and not inside me and not inside you Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. woven into everyone and everything so it's a non-unified way of seeing ourselves so it's the story that i just told about having the bigger soul come into the Mm -hmm. forgetting that it's a bigger soul and that we're all in this together right and that all our souls link, that all those football fields are actually a big tapestry. One huge football field, exactly. Right. And I think that's the whole thing. It's like fear. I mean, even from the perspective of the brain, which is so interesting, fear and stress make us inherently selfish. And so we are living in this pandemic that seems to be never ending. And so even if we, I think for a lot of people, if they could manage it for some amount of time on the front end, it's they're, they're just starting, people are just starting to feel so fatigued by all of it. And I think the fear and has dug in deep. I don't, cause I don't want to say that it's like, I don't even know that it's grabbing more people. It's just like, it's become just part of, it's actually really interesting. Like think about like, there's so much conversation about how our culture changed after nine 11 and that like that made a huge shift towards this fear space. And we raise our children with more fear. Like if we compare my childhood in the eighties to how it is now, like what I was allowed to do on my own at, at eight or nine years old is, in, is radically different um, than what I allowed my child to do. And I, I dance in that. It's interesting just to think about how like fear is like seeped into our culture, but also I think about all of us and this like both individual ego and collective ego that like the gripping tightly that happens when we know that we're on the precipice of change. The pushback, I call it the pushback, right? So anytime we go to change, we we feel like huge fear or a pushback in our body, right? Or in our energy, because the habit wants to stay in charge Mm -hmm. and I would say, I don't think we're more fearful. I really yeah. don't. I don't think we're more fearful. If we look back at history. Fear has been running the show for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. Just another iteration mm-hmm. of a fear story. Pandemic is another iteration. It's not new. People want to think it's new, but it's not new. We are responding and reacting to it from the same mind 
that created it. And what intuition is asking us to do is, are we willing to respond to it from a different mind, the intuitive mind, the intuitive heart, I have chills, a holistic worldview, instead of what our habit mind wants us to do is think of it from fear. And so we have these two dominating fear, fear stories. One is, it's going to take us out. And we all have to get a vaccination and the vaccination is the savior or it's a plot and we can't get a vaccination because the vaccination is going to kill us out. Mm -hmm. Intuition isn't going to participate in either story. So intuition, you know, you were talking a little bit about where does 5D take us? Intuition takes us in is a vaccination, a resource that came through me that allows me to have access to an immunity that I might not naturally have, right? Is it, is I've chills. That's something that people don't want to dance in, mm-hmm. right? And that, that could be an intuitive chill solution to something that's happening on the earth, rather than just thinking my immune system can do it and my immune system can't do it. Mm-hmm. It's true. Right, but both are true, can't. right? Both are true and more beyond what I'm even. Yeah. yeah. Right. And so that's what it means to live beyond the mind and the habit and the fear. And I I can't ever go out or I can't, or I can't ever put on a mask because you're not letting the external world, you're looking at it. You're letting it inform you. You're not negating its value, but you are, you know, it's an incomplete story and you can, Access that which is greater than your mind and make decisions. If you're using it to posture yourself in, in an opposing energy, you're still participating in duality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's what we've seen a lot of and we've had to talk about is that yes. people coming in and saying that this is intuitive guidance and then creating you know, videos or I don't know, whatever, all this stuff that's come out that's that's... Acting as if it's noble and um, higher than, but ultimately playing to the same fear and separation. If it feeds that fear and if it feeds that separation and it's still telling a story that there's just a power outside of me that's controlling me, it's still part of the illusion. Mm-hmm. I, it's just danced and dressed up in a different version of the devil or the whatever other imposter we've been telling these stories over and over and we are and it's really easy to be seduced by them they're seductive and it's not making it's not because you're wrong or you're weak or you don't get it it's because it's playing on what's imprinted in your own energy field and revealing information to you as though it's true Mm -hmm. and intuition doesn't do that Mm -hmm. Intuition mm-hmm. doesn't reinforce your imprinted thoughts. It breaks you free from them. Dance is one of my favorite words too. And I'd written it down before you said it aloud. What did I write? Dance between. Is that, that to me is so much of what I feel on earth. I'm, I'm learning to dance more gracefully between the human experience of being in a body and seeing myself as separate and at times alone and disconnected. And then, you know, also then working to integrate this part of me that's the soul self. So even as you talked about in the beginning, 
of this whole thing, like where like while you can hear from your guides, like, hey, by the way, a pandemic's coming, you know, there's still your human part that's going really I don't know, you know, is this, is this crazy? I can't say this out loud. I can't tell people this. They're going to think I'm nuts. And then, mm-hmm. you know, then retrospective, you're like, I knew it. I knew it. And people are like, sure you did, you know, like, cause that's like the mind thing. Right. <laughs> um, so I, I think to me, like when I see this transition or when I think about it in our many conversations, the transition between, you know, 3d moving towards 5d is that we, that we dance more gracefully, that we are still going to have be human beings and have moments of, of suffering and sadness and separation. But it's like what we talk about and what I talk about in yoga often is like, can I improve my recovery time? Right. Can I have my reaction? Because it's my brain's job and my ego's job to react. And how quickly can I recover back to my higher, wiser self? Right. And, and, And how often can I catch myself, you know, in a YouTube rabbit hole and then pull myself out and go, wait a second, let me let me check in here, you know, with what I'm feeling or let me reach out to my sister wives and say, what do you get? Because I'm not trusting myself right now. Right. And 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 I think like that's what I think that you and I are hoping to help people find is a is a more graceful or more harmonious relationship in honoring that like to me I've always we've talked about this at length but like I have a hard time with this notion of enlightenment that I was fed for many years because I'm it, it's it doesn't my my mind my head says why would I embody if I'm then suddenly trying to spend my whole life trying to get out of my body like I thought I like for me I I, I feel very much like I chose this. I have had many points in my life that I knew I was heading the right way in my game, like that I'd reached a new level or I was like meeting some allies or I was, you know, finding things like that. Those are very clear moments in my life that I can pinpoint. And so to me, I can't understand why we would imagine that our whole job is to then not have the human experience anymore. Like I came here on that is that that isn't it. And yeah. And I would say, and and I I guarantee there'll be people that won't like this, but I think that that version of enlightenment is a patriarchal one. Me too. We are. I don't think that's a. I don't think that has anything to do with reality. Yeah. I have chills. I don't think enlightenment is transcending the body. I think it's being in the body as spirit, awake. Yeah. And loving that we're in a material world and still having duality to a certain extent. Maybe we won't. Who knows? I'm not sure about that. What I am clear about is that you're right on the personal. We'll be able to navigate life more easily. It could be way richer. But what I also see, because I have a tendency to see in this way that we will come up with systems that we haven't yet even considered Because we've been so attached to this one way of seeing reality of chills. Mm -hmm. You know, I see this sort of regenerative systems coming through us. So we do it. So let's say, for example, something like a pandemic comes because it will. Mm -hmm. Whether it's whatever way you think this thing is, it's here. Mm -hmm. We may respond to it very differently. Mm -hmm. have an inner awareness of, okay, what do I need to do to create so much health or vitality in my system that I can stave this? I can ensure that I'm not either, I'm most likely not going to get it. Or if I do, 
it's it'll be like a cold for me. I'm going to use like that as an example. And what do I mean by that is that we have it. We don't do that. Our dominant paradigm is to be afraid of getting things and do everything we can not to get them and to not we, you know, like even our, you know, the government or whatever that's giving us information doesn't say anything about, hey, boost your immune system. Eat this kind of diet. This will this will help, you know, really assist you in engage in these kinds of activities. These things will create vitality in you. So that's one thing. But we will think of and create through this higher consciousness government systems that we won't be looking at as like, ugh, this is disgusting. All they do is fight with each other. I think we'll be creating far more co- collaborative, cooperative, exciting solutions for social justice, for where we won't. I, I don't even, I think we will eventually evolve out of this whole idea that there's some amount of people that can live amongst us homeless mm-hmm. and that's tolerable. Right. I, I know that as we shift into this higher heart, we'll move beyond that as a tolerated outcome of a system that says that's acceptable. Mm-hmm. I'm just thinking about like, you know, the many conversations I have with my brother, who's very intelligent. And, you know, I think that sometimes the challenge for him is that he holds that idea deal. He he sees the world capable of that. We have we are a globalized world and economy and we have enough resources and the means to 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 do that. We just don't yes. have enough people who are willing to participate collectively and, and you know it's still scarcity versus abundance and grasping and all of these things which which really limit that and i so to me that evolved thought is recognition that there truly is enough for all and that this is not pie and i don't need to worry about hoarding mine so that you cannot know that if you are disconnected from your intuition sure. when you're connected to your intuition you're connect, you start to, you recognize that prosperity has nothing to do with your job, mm-hmm. that your prosperity is a reflection of the inner consciousness through which you are allowing resources to flow into your experience with consistency. And can you imagine teaching children that? Right. That that consciousness is what really that the the substance and source of my supply comes from the universe, from my divine divine inheritance, and not at all from whether or not I take a job, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? or the it neighborhood may, I grew up in, or my not, color of my skin, or my gender, or exactly. So it's so we're not going to get what you're talking about, what your brother and you and I and others who we know and love want for our world, you know, this harmony and and whatever, if we want that, we're not going to get to it from the same mind that created it. And that's, that's what we have to know. And that, so we have examples of those breakthroughs, breakthroughs happen in technology and in the way we, you know, discover things, but that internal breakthrough, that shift out of the reliance on the ego into the awareness and living as a multi-sensory being is when it will really flourish. And these kids that you are talking about mm-hmm. are, you know, you're saying that there's more 
highly sensitive children now that, you know, that are coming into the world. Well, there is, there's an influx, you, Shannon, and, um, and then your children, my child are examples of this influx. I'm like a scout. I'm like, you know, the precursor that came in first, but there's now a flood of souls that have come in to hold that frequency and to keep sending that light, I'm going to use that language or that energy or that intuitive truth into the world until we finally adapt that way of living. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's why you're seeing movements like Black Lives Matter or environmental or even veganism. And I'm not, I'm not standing with or against anything. I'm only speaking that they are speaking to what's out of balance and trying to bring voice to it as a representation of that higher heart emerging in our consciousness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was just thinking um, your friend that you introduced me to, David Bedrick, had written something similar the other day, and it was not dissimilar to things I'd been talking about in class, which I love. The three of us are often speaking in the same circles, and it, I always love that. Yeah. It just feels validating that like there's there's themes moving all the time through you know the universe. Yes. And um uh, he was speaking to to just that. And then and he was mentioning simply that the the early in many cultures, those who were the first to sense the imbalance were revered. Yeah. And 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 back to the commentary that, you know, around divine feminine and then patriarchy energetically. And I don't mean just like today's man. We mean that like system oh, um, took over and squashed the seers and the knowers because that was a power they couldn't necessarily feel like they could access. I think that's why it felt unpredictable, out of touch, and it felt scary from the ego mind. Like, why do these women know things? And go ahead. And and I don't think it's just women, but but it got assigned to women. Mm -hmm. It got pulled on women and women became, but men are the victims of the same system Mm -hmm. created, right? So we all, we all lose. We all lose. Nobody, you know, even though in a patriarchy, the male benefits from it. It's also paying a huge price for it. Yep. And so that's, that's the illusion of it is that, you know, you can look like you're the victor, but you're really not. You paid all this price to have that, even that, what looks like the spoils, but um, I just lost my train of thought around what I was going to say around that. The seers and the sensitives were the ones that were revered. Does that help? Yeah, the the seers, the sensitives, the women, the energy. Nah, I'm gonna nope. have to pause for a minute. That's okay. It'll come back. I was gonna say this, which is unrelated, but maybe once you stop trying to think about it, it'll come back. But it's not unrelated about about the idea that the patriarchy hurts everyone. I mean, I'm seeing it in my most immediate circles in a couple ways, right? Which is friends and marriages and and men in marriages. And I don't mean this is like a, like a men are bad, but this is the exact point is that there was an article that a friend sent me about how she, um, some woman had been talking about how she was resentful of like having to be her husband's everything and that it wasn't his fault necessarily, but the fault of the world saying, you can't have feelings. You can't talk about your feelings. You don't have a sensitivity. you got to be all these, you know, strong things. And then all of the weight of their emotional, mental, intuitive health falls on the shoulders of the women in their lives. And like, this is, this is, you know, 
just such a disservice because then there's just these disconnects, even in these and all these relationships. You know, I see it literally all over how this creates harm. And then speaking of sensitive children who come in more wakeful, both my daughter and her little best friend, one who is a boy, um, and she's obviously a a girl at this point. So, you know, don't want to make any assumptions there either. But um, she uh, is like pissed that the cool Roblox T-shirts are in the boys department at Kohl's and that like the rules are, you know, whereas our, our friend who's an eight year old boy is pissed that that purple and sparkly things have been demonized for him or, or put out of sight, you know. And so it's like these little tiny injustices that aren't really that tiny, but like to kids, these things that could seem so small and easy to just kind of brush off are really pointing to the larger problem. And I, I want them to stay agitated and uncomfortable around it because that's where, how they can help facilitate the change, you know? And I think that's what, what's trying to be born. If we can allow them to keep that alive. This is what my response would be to that. And everything you said, I would say, check, check, check. Yes. yes. (laughs) Everything you said. And what I would add in is that what you are describing in my language would be the intuitive truth. Mm-hmm. The intuitive truth is that glitter doesn't have a gender. Right, right. Roboplox or whatever, I'm going to say it wrong. <laughs> gender, right? And so, yeah. it, so if glitter is like, oh my God, I love it. I remember when I used to babysit my nephew I don't know if that's the right term, but he would come and play with my daughter, you know, and I would watch him for the day when, you know, and I was at home. Um, he couldn't wait to get into her dress up. Yeah. He like, he would put on her princess clothes. Um, and, and I'm going to say this because it's kind of, uh, I'm, I might be in strange territory because I'm a little bit older. And so I have a little bit of a different sensibility and languaging and it could be, uh, I'm, I'm saying that as a precursor, but what I want to say about that is this is, you know, as far as he knows now, a young adult, male, heteronormative individual, right? This is kind of how he is, right? Mm-hmm. That, but in his world, you know, you weren't supposed to want to get dressed up mm-hmm. and makeup. And he loved it. He loved mm-hmm. those high heels just as much as I loved when I would play with my brother and, you know, act like a boy and whatever that means Mm -hmm. play, you know, like we used to play war, which is Mm -hmm. tells you a little bit about my age. Mm -hmm. Really it was just, we would be hiding and trying to find each other kind of like a fun hide and see. And I loved it because I loved playing at that, that in that energy field. Mm -hmm. That doesn't have anything to do with my gender. Right. An intuitive truth. What your daughter, what your daughter's best friend is showing is that this intuitive truth exists and we all have access to it. And they're reacting to people who are saying, no, it doesn't mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It has to look like this. A couple of thoughts are coming to me is, is I think what I, what I've been kind of coming to a lot lately is that, you know, a harmonious balanced world lives in the complexity of the murky middle, right? And the in the in the and uh, in, in the spectrum of life, right? That that everything is is somewhere in a complicated mess in the middle. And so and that people are so we've been conditioned and you know, ego and fear, we've been so conditioned to not allow 
or anything to exist there because that seemed unsafe for some reason to people. And then the the other thing kind of correlating to that, what I'm thinking of, like when I'm listening to you and I had written it down again earlier too, is like both when we talk about this idea of 3D to 5D and what these children are reminding us of, and even us um, as the video game controllers of our uh, and the avatar is that what I imagine in an elevated intuitive world is co-creation and play. And then yes. we don't have to, we don't have to be five to be able to play dress up and to like change. And it's, you know, you said something, you'd written something a couple of weeks ago that was also what I was talking about in class, but I loved how simply you put it, which was you or not you. Right. And that, that I was just saying this week in class to like encourage us to be that five or eight year old self getting to play in the field of life and think and use our intuitive sensing and our body and our being saying me, not me, me, not me. And they, like, we don't even realize how much we've been programmed um, that to even know that. And so that it's, but then we're miserable and we're unhappy and we've all these, un, these, all these unha- unhealthy behaviors to try to mute. Really, I think it, that we just use it to mute the intuition because the intuition felt unsafe because it was pushing up against um, the boundaries of the world and or the the contracts and agreements we had in our family and our ancestry and our ethnicity and our culture, right? And so it's like goes back to somatic experiencing and all it, you know they all link together into yeah. this this thing that I think we're starting to unravel and that these children. At least to me, I feel like my my job is how do I teach my daughter to both navigate all these constructs that I think are bogus? And like the and the connection and the beauty and the power that she has, you know, that was a lot. So go ahead. Well, when you were speaking, it reminded me of what I was going to say when I had lost my train of thought. And and one of the things that I wanted to say was that that loss of power or that loss of connection to the divine feminine and the, you know, the cultivation of this, whatever we're we're referring to as a patriarchy um, or that dominant way of seeing the world seems to be. Uh, about power and control. Mm-hmm. So I can't control if I tell you, you have limitless power. Mm-hmm. I can't control the economy if I teach you that all the resources are access- accessible to you. Mm-hmm. I can't control the role that you're going to play if I, if, you t- if I say there are no roles. You get mm-hmm. to be, your gender doesn't have to look like this at all. Mm-hmm. You, you're fluid even, right? Mm-hmm. I can't, what do I do? I can't control that. So Mm -hmm. I have to create these, you know, these limits all over the place. So there are so many, and that's, what's getting dismantled. Mm -hmm. That's, what's getting dismantled. You're part of that. I'm part of that. Um, People older than me are part of that, you know, dismantling it. There's always going to be the challengers to the system, but now there's a wave, there's a tsunami. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. these kids, the your kids, these kids are the ones who are will not tolerate mm-hmm. those limitations because mm-hmm. it, even in the mild cases where it's just you have permission to even tell me that you want to wear that shirt or you want to wear this mm-hmm. or might be yeah. you're going to use like these you know really simplistic examples, but they're not. 
Mm-hmm. They're, they're symbols of, of these limitations that don't really, aren't really true. Mm. Oh, it's, I literally was talking about this. I keep referencing class, but yesterday I was talking about how all of this, you, not you, and, and watching my daughter get close to nine and be one of the first ones to really turn tween because of her just general maturity and emotional level and all of these things. And that like, I want her to be able to express herself with all these accessories and the ways that feel like her, you know, this is the first year she's really like cared about what she was wearing. I mean, I will give myself a little toot toot that I always dressed her cute anyway. So she didn't have to worry about that, but all all of a sudden she has an opinion, you know, and that like, like that back to the murky middle of allowing her to express herself that way, but also really cautiously trying to protect her that like, who's, implementing that because she'll walk in looking like a million dollars and she's got 10 parents telling her how awesome she looks. And I want to be like, and you're funny and you're brilliant and you're creative and you're smart and you don't need their validation, right? Like all those things. It's like, oh, (laughs) you know, navigating this world, like how do we let them be them and also protect them from who they think the world's telling them they have to be? And it's so the the world is going to impose itself on our children. Right. We, we came into this. That's a What you just said was really powerful. And any one of us who has kids really thinks about this, I would think, to some extent or another. Right. But you don't have to have kids. We threw it ourselves. Mm-hmm. The world imposes itself on us. Mm-hmm. It tells us what it thinks we're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. What's, a, what's a no. And our biggest gift that we can give to our children is to help them stay connected to the inner knowing of what yes and what is a no. And when they have that, they're going to hear things like that. And they may like it. They may not like it, but it will not define them, mm-hmm. not define them. So mm-hmm. it will be kind of that protective filter and they're going to enjoy it. They're going to, they're here to have a human experience. Right. Right. They're going to be, we all enjoy it. Right. That's sure. Right. That's or right. Different things. I, yeah. Yeah. Yes. So, you know, and, and they're going to push against it and they're going to do what they're meant to do within this body. But if you help them stay connected to that or keep returning them to that, mm-hmm. that will rise in them always. Mm-hmm. And they will be able to tell you that this is a yes. And this is a no mom. This is mm-hmm. chills mm-hmm. And that I feel like that is fundamentally, that is how we get out of the way. Mm-hmm. That and let them show up and show us who they are instead of us shaping them. Mm. I have a really hard question for you. And I would be curious. I know we've talked about this um, privately, but I would be curious, partly from your intuitive response around this whole thing that that, you know, in this rebalancing, there's so much conversation about um, kindness and inclusion. And I had a friend kind of push back and I I. Um, it was something I'd never thought of, which was like, at, at what point when we make um, kindness and inclusion and um, I mean, I have an answer, but I would love to hear your answer. Um, kindness, inclusion, we we elevate it so much so that she was saying, are we are we telling children, are we telling our kids to turn off their intuitive knowing around who deserves their that presence or that um kindness, that niceness, you know, nice and kind are two different things. Mm -hmm. 
So nice is the ego's version. I'm going to look good. I'm going to sound good. I'm going to include everybody no matter what. Kindness has discernment in it. Niceness does not. Nice is fake. Nice is inauthentic. Kind is truth. So in kindness, I can be kind and still say no to people. Mm -hmm. Not want to be with somebody. I have bills. And still be kind. And that's something that we think kind means everybody's in all the time at the same time. All the kids in the class have to come to my party. That's not intuitive truth. That's the ego trying to control what's been out of balance. Mm -hmm. But when we're intuitive and we're really in our truth, we may want a very different thing than what looks kind. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. So kindness is, and, and this can be, this can be a little tricky. Let me, let's use like a, a, a bigger example, not one that's around children, but a bigger example. Intuition would tell me, I'm going to use this example and it's a little bit uncomfortable. Bill Cosby is dangerous. Bill Cosby is a perpetrator. I can still be kind to the wounded soul inhabiting that body mm-hmm. say, and you have no access to me or other people who you can harm. Mm-hmm. And that's what we don't grasp fully. I have chills. We think the ego has to make him into a devil, into a dark being. That doesn't mean he isn't wrong and bad and all those, whatever else you want to say, but your intuition will not do that. Mm-hmm. You want to say, nope, you're going to stay here. And if mm-hmm. here in our world is in a jail or in a whatever, you cannot harm others. Mm-hmm. Not inclusive, mm-hmm. but it's also not abusive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I've, yes. I mean, and that's exactly, you know, after that conversation, it was this, for the record, her son is autistic. And so she was giving the example of, I don't want somebody whose parent has essentially pushed or bullied them into being kind or nice to my autistic son to be the one playing because especially as a nonverbal autistic child, he will feel the inauthenticity there. Right. And so, right. Right. And we do children do feel that as long as we allow them to keep that alive. And I think that's exactly what we're both saying, but you know, we had a similar situation on the playground with somebody that um, my daughter was uncomfortable around and, and felt she felt like she was being a bully. And so I was like, here's, here's exactly it, which is boundary, which is what we're talking about, right? You have permission to trust your instinct here and your, and your body that's saying you need a boundary. And she's like, but what if I hurt her feelings? And I was like, well, you know, how are you feeling now currently right in that space um, around her? First of all, I don't think I said that, but in that so many words, but you, like we get to honor our own safety first period. And then my other point with that was, and then we can also take a step back and trust that if she's lashing out or feeling this way or, or difficult, that there's likely something going on in her own experience that she's having a difficult time with. And so we can send her compassion. We can think kindly of her, but it doesn't mean you have to put yourself into that situation to put yourself at harm. Right. And so and if we don't name it, mm-hmm. Licit with it perpetuating, mm-hmm. right? So we we're not we're not being kind. We're being yeah. unkind. 
We're allowing the bully to continue to suffer. We have to pull ourselves out of harm's way. So she has to say no. She gets the right to say no. And and to make somebody else uncomfortable is not being unkind. Right. If we're speaking truth. Right. So if we're speaking truth, it's you're being a bully. Mm-hmm. This behavior is not okay. The consequences, I'm not going to play with you. Yes. Right. Yes. And that child, that's not being cruel. That's going to be experiences cruel, mm-hmm. but not going to be cruel. That cruel is a very different thing. You're bad. I hate you. Everybody stop playing with her. Mm-hmm. That happens. Intuition is going to tell you no. I mean, as a kid, it's going to be no. I'm mm-hmm. not going to. But for the adults to navigate it, that is tell the truth so the truth can be addressed, so the child can be addressed. I'm revisiting um, because of the mentoring group, uh, Gifts of Imperfection um, by Brene Brown. And so much of what she's teaching is a, about boundaries and the you know freedom to disappoint people and, and the courage to be yourself, which is intuitive courage, right? And uh, one of the things I love is that she talks about the root of the word courage, and it's something to the effect of um, telling the truth with your whole heart or telling the truth of your whole, of your whole heart. Right. And I, I was, I was, she has the three C's, which are courage, compassion, connection. And, and what I was able to see that I couldn't see when I read this book 10 years ago or whenever was that it's also goes to the yamas and niyamas, which are the part of the eight limb Ashtanga path, um, that ahimsa is, is nonviolence. And Mm -hmm. So often we think of that as a, as external, like not hurting other people, but ultimately many times the hardest places to practice that is towards yourself, right? Which is compassion, compassionate witness that you and I talk about all the time. And what I, and then of course the default one that comes after ahimsa is satya, which is truth. And to me, that's related to courage, the courage to speak the truth of your heart. And intuition is, is based on these two things and, and the willingness to make a connection with your intuition. And then inevitably anyone else is our, our willingness to be courageous about our truth. And, and then also, you know, I guess what I want to say is this, that 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 willingness to be courageous and to be truthful with ourselves is the most nonviolent thing we can do towards our own being. Mm-hmm. And that 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 this this harm, like circling back to intuition, the real harm that we're unintentionally creating that then requires all of this self-medicating and maladaptive coping and disconnect is not having uh, taught ourselves or, or given permission to ourselves to trust the courage to have the courage and trust that the truth whoops that resides in our intuitive heart you know yes and and it's and i and i and it's all like so much of that is just about learning to be uncomfortable but also like uncomfortable in the right spaces about the right things does that make sense like we're uncomfortable in lots of ways but it may not be productive discomfort i think there's such thing as productive discomfort you know it's an interesting concept, right? So it's meeting ourselves where we are with that compassion. You know, uh, ideally we would learn to, you know, stay connected to our intuition as children, but the people that are going to listen to this aren't in that situation. They have in some ways shut that down. And so now it's coming home to it, having the courage to listen to our heart, to honor it, 
to have that, what you're calling that productive discomfort, which is pulling us toward our potential. It's allowing that truth, that potential to be expressed and to unfold these, these kind of creative power within us that we may not have ever known we had. Mm-hmm. We thought we we kind of feel it underneath us. It turns us into seekers or it's a longing we'll feel. But that longing, that seeking, those are clues that our intuition is wanting to rise into the foreground. Mm. We give ourselves permission to do that. We shift out of the daily suffering, the daily disconnect. It, it's not a magic pill. Mm-hmm. It's practice. You know, and just like what you teach in yoga, it's, it's, you know, it's on the mat, it's off the mat and it's your practice and your commitment to it. And nobody's going to do it perfectly. And there's no such thing as this was the best yoga. Like my, I had it. I finally had my Mm -hmm. flow, right? Okay. You've achieved it and then you're done. That's why I don't think enlightenment is this male idea of I transcended now I'm done it's like I'm living in the body in my full multi-sensory experiencing feeling all that love and all the other human emotions too and learning what it means in this moment and this moment and this moment and this experience and this experience mm-hmm. 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 I have a couple more things that I think that I wanted to circle back on first of all what you just said I love that too. And I was, we were talking about intuition because so often the question I get is how do I get out of my head and like into my intuitive self, right? Like I'm living in my head, I'm functioning from my head and it feels anxious and unproductive and super relatable. We all dance between those two things. And the, and the goal is coherence, which is ultimately the same thing as those three beads. It's all the same and just different language points. But I was talking about like that hollowness that people talk about. And I'm like, to me, what the big shift was when I stopped perceiving that hollow or that nag as something that I was trying to quell or 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 quiet or fill and instead trusting that it's actually that that nag or that that hollowness that actually moves, continues to move me forward. That's how I keep growing and evolving. And it's really the only thing that keeps us stuck there is trying to fill it and squash it, you know? And so like that, but we, but people talk about it all the time. Like there's this emptiness that they feel and you know what I mean? Do you know what I mean by that? Like, and that they're trying to squat, they're trying to fill the hole. Ah, yes. You know, and I'm like, what if the hole is supposed to be there? Like, what if the hole is meant to help move you forward? Right. This is this is productive discomfort. This is agitation. This is and I mean, we're not talking about like feeling empty and hollow because we're I mean, part of that is exactly your point, which is disconnection from intuition would make you feel hollow and empty. But I mean, that like nag that like, you know, pit that they think somebody else or some other thing is going to fill them up. Um, Anyway, I just wanted to put that out there because I think it's an for me when I was able to shift to a mindset that I didn't feel like I was trying to fill that or squash it or make it go away or complete it or whatever it was that I'd been told that would make it me feel whole and better. And, you know, I don't know, kumbaya. I feel like you're not with me on this one. (laughs) No, no, no. I'm actually really with you. Okay. You're seeing in my facial expression (laughs) um, is just a languaging difference because I'm a retriever. Mm-hmm. But when you're mm-hmm. talking about the emptiness, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm hearing you differently than that. Yes. Yeah. So I'm, I don't mean, yes, I certainly don't yeah. mean actual missing. Well, I mean, I think no, part of it do. is that I do. And you I do. don't, 
Yeah. Yeah. I think I do mean that. Yeah. Yes. I will agree with you. I I agree with you. I Mm -hmm. was processing. No, no. I think it's interesting. I didn't think about it. I have thought about it from soul retrieval, but not this exact like sentence before. Right. So go ahead. Tell me where you're at. Yeah. So for me as a soul retriever, and just so in a very quick, just to give some understanding of what I'm actually saying about to the listener is that there's a thing called soul loss or disconnect, which is actually what we're talking about. And soul retrieval is a shamanic healing method that addresses that. You are talking about that too. So yes, I, I now it's, it's illuminating for me. Yep. I see yes, it now. The, yep. the, the nag, the, that long mm-hmm. it is. Mm-hmm. I think we're we're not meant to deny it or try to shut it down um, or start to like, you know, medicate it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, we, you know, I don't think there, by the way, there's anything wrong with if you need medication, if you're feeling anxiety or right. depression or those things. But if you only take medication, you have lost the gold. Mm-hmm anxiety and your depression mm-hmm. because your anxiety or depression, that emptiness, that nag, you know, uh, whatever way you might be experienced, it is trying to communicate with you mm-hmm. who you are and what you truly need. Mm-hmm. Trying mm-hmm. to get you out yeah. of the mind that is telling you a story that is untrue and connect you to that, which is deeper, more vast, more peaceful, more loving than what your mind or your story knows. And Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. one thing, I think the thing that really kind of blew my mind (laughs) and it's going to sound like, you know, you're, you know, don't wait for like some epiphany here. Yeah. Okay. The awareness that that longing in me has something I have felt most of my life, if you will, right. Um, Pretty much all my life. I, I tried to fill it with pretty much everything, mm-hmm. drugs, alcohol, food, therapy, yoga, working out relationship, whatever it was. And then I finally realized that there was nothing outside of me. Mm-hmm. There was no fix. There was no tool. There was no method. There was nothing that was going to do that for me. Mm-hmm. The only thing that, and the first and most important thing I could do was first and foremost, learn to be with it mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. trying to make myself wrong or bad for having it or being it or feeling it or experiencing it and learn what inside myself I needed mm-hmm. and that I could provide myself if it was going to be comfort or even at the at a minimum, just the compassionate witness that this is how it feels to be in this body in this moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I've said like almost that exact sentence many times. Exactly. <laughs> Learning to be with it and 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 trust that like from the soul retriever video game perspective, that that's the hero's journey of you navigating and literally picking up the pieces. Like so to me, that longing and that nagging is what leads us to a meaningful life and like an on path. And it's, it's to me, it's like, it's the, it's that that pulls us on path, right? If we're willing to be with, slow down, listen, get quiet, sit with, you know, all those pieces you're talking about. So it's like, 
And and the alternative to me is just like the stagnation to like stop and say F it. And I'm just going to squash, squash, squash and pretend it's not here and stay pretty immobile in our lives, which happens for sure all the time. We're trying to control it or we're trying to or we're judging it or thinking it's happening to us. Mm -hmm. No one else has it but me. (laughs) There's something wrong with me. I'm broken. This is evidence of that. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. right. Which you even started at the, in the, if I heard you right, you know, even in the beginning is like, people want to have what you have or whatever they think they perceive mm-hmm. as though it's like a fix. It's a thing. It's magic. It's something out there, you know, and we all have it and it doesn't. And if people tell you, it means like, you no longer have suffering ever in any way, shape or form. I want to meet that individual <laughs> because I haven't, met one who authentically is embodied and that is the truth ex- true experience even if they're in delight or bliss a lot or most of the time mm-hmm. they're a full exp- human experience mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's when i say i lovingly call bullshit on that <laughs> you know big time not mm-hmm. always that lovingly Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> I, I try to pretend to take the posture of love at that point, but mostly, yes, judgment and bullshit. Just like, no, my bullshit meter goes hell no. Like I always refer back to whatever podcast I was listening to that the woman was like, well, my Kundalini completed. And I was like, I've listened to you for 10 minutes and it most assuredly has not, you know? Um, so, you know, I think that that's, it's also this idea back to the enlightenment piece that there's like a a, a goal line that you're going to get there. And then it's like, oh, and you're you done. Know? Yeah. Right. Because I don't even see that necessarily in afterlife. Right. And that's, that was so enlightening. (laughs) (laughs) It was like such an eye opener for me that it was still like somebody just asked me this yesterday because I did a reading for someone who has recently committed suicide and I had to help them ascend into the light. And I don't mean to, take us off storyline or track no. or whatever we're doing, but I, I, that spirit had not gone into the light, mm-hmm. you know, for whatever various reasons I was feeling him, that, that person, that spirit since last Sunday, viscerally in my energy field until I made, until I had that session, should I have that day? Mm-hmm. But, um, <laughs> because it was very, very intense. And I was describing it to a friend of mine last night and his comment his question was what like he didn't go right into the light one and he wasn't he was still suffering again I was like that vibration was still present Mm -hmm. because we are still evolving that soul is still evolving will that soul feel peace and reunification and the blissfulness of being part of the whole football field and then all the football fields 100 percent yes Mm -hmm. But mm-hmm. did the tiny spark that came into the body that had that experience still feel that that pain? Unfortunately, yes. And was was he able to go into the light? Will he? Yes. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I brought that up. Well, I, it's interesting because that's one of the things I wanted to circle back on, but I'm making notes for next time because, okay. but I want to talk about that for one second because when I asked the question about you know, source versus being in the body. I think that that one of the places that that is in between those things is exactly what you're talking about. Yes, right. Yes, so when yes. I must I'm I have so it's source, right? The big ocean. And then I've taken my football field 
um, amount out of the ocean. And then there's how much of that football field I drop into the body. But when that, when I leave the body and go back to the football version of me, I, I football field version of me, I'm still, there's, there's a, I'm still, um, contained within the boundary of my soul. Right. That's right. But right. And so I'm still processing through, and this is the part where you were saying, you know, the jury's still out on, on all of, you know, some of these sort of nitty gritty pieces in here that you and I like to talk about at length. Um, but when I'm in that, in that football field version of me, the difference between that versus the container of the body from my understanding so far is that I'm able to then, if I was to take my football field and face and, and be near your football field up in source, we would have a level of communication and connection that yes. is much bigger and more comprehensive than what we feel when we're in our bodies on earth. Right. And I would say it like this, think about it like this, you know what it's like when you feel lousy and you're by yourself and you feel all alone and you're in your room and nobody gets it. And you're just in that space, right? You're in that headspace. Mm -hmm. And then you use the phrase uh, a few times, your sister wives, which are your mm -hmm. BFFs, right? You're the women who love you and get you and, and take you and accept you exactly as you are show up and hold you. Mm -hmm. It doesn't take the pain away, does it? But it does lessen the sting. Mm -hmm. It does allow you to be with it in a very different way of chills. So take that, multiply that by a gazillion, mm -hmm. starting to get the sense of what it's like to rise into the light. So the pain is still there. That soul is still feeling it, but now he feels held and mm -hmm. he integrated it mm -hmm. and something with it. Mm -hmm. Don't think we are meant to only do things by ourselves, mm -hmm. right? We have mm -hmm. to do them for ourselves, right? But I do also know that when we can hold that space for one another, we can transform whatever energy is there. Mm -hmm. Or being held, if you're having that moment and your buddies come in and hold that space for you, it will loosen. It will still have to process it. Yeah. Still in that body. Yep. But and that's what happens in afterlife. Yeah. I literally wrote down the word process because that's what I was going to say. It's like that processing through compassionate witness and witness of other souls, but that can hold that high vibration because the whole intent, as far as I understand it, is for that soul to continue to learn, grow and understand itself. Seems and to be. Yeah, seems to be as far as we know. And so there is that that processing that 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 happens. Um, so I was what I wrote down for the next time, because I could hear at one moment you were going to talk about manifesting when we were talking about teaching our children, you know, to be reminded that they are, you know, they can access the the infinite abundance of the universe. Yes. People want to understand that. And I think it'd be really interesting. And, and yeah. Precipitation and they can bring they, they can do miraculous things. They are going to. So I can do more than just get a good parking spot is what you're saying. You can do a little bit more than just a good parking spot. <laughs> Seems to be the the uh, end of my uh, capacity to manifest lately. Um, so I think it would be really cool to talk about that process. I, you know, I, one of the first things I classes I ever took with you was um, uh, was that manifesting through the chakras. And I, oh, I love yeah. that. I love that idea because I think that's often what we how we move energy in yoga and all these things. Yes. So I think that's really 
And I love the idea of like speaking it into truth and loving on it and action. And so I think it'd be really cool to talk about that sometime. I think people would be, oh, super be great into that. Um, and then also talk about like what's in our way from allowing that because, you know, you and I haven't fully manifested our fullest dreams yet either. So like the very human limitations of it and how do we work right. with that? Yeah. Just like what I was saying, we all have stories. Mm-hmm. True. You know, the avatar feels real. The avatar yeah. stories feel real. And the enlightenment is the awareness that they're not real and in a sustained way. And then, you know, I would say the divine feminine version of that enlightenment is then living that, living that passionately and creatively and joyfully, not from a disconnected, I'm not my body and all I'm going to do is meditate all day. It's going to be like, I'm still going to get water for the children. Mm-hmm. I'm still going to mm-hmm. tend to the children. That in a full, aware, awakened self. Yes. To me, that's that thing we talk about all the time, walking that higher consciousness through my body into this earth plane. That's right, Anne. Yep. That's it. So um, I think we should talk about that next time. And I think we should talk about, um, I think people will be curious more about this afterlife conversation too. Um, But whatever else comes up. So I'd love listeners for you to reach out to me and let me know next time when we talk to Lori, because we will, what we should talk about. If you want to study with Lori and you want to learn more, um, you should definitely check out her IPC program, which is her intuitive practitioner certification program. It's starting up when? November? November 7th. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. And uh, I've been through it myself. It's pretty phenomenal. You'll get to just start to remember who you are and be in a group of community of people who are working to remember the same thing. And it's pretty powerful stuff. Um, plus you get to be with Lori, which is always magical. Um, and you get to be with yourself, you get to know your gifts and your intuitive gifts and your yeah. So yeah. It. And remember and, and reignite. And it's a, it's a awesome loop around the hero's journey path. And, okay. and yeah. Yeah. Go retrieve some of your pieces, some of your jewels. Um, This is what I came to do is help people do it just like you did. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I couldn't be happier to be doing it again with you. So thank you for your time today. Um, Have a wonderful... Lori's going to Sedona for some more magic and a retreat. So you should definitely find her on her website so you can follow along with all the cool things she does. Um, And we plan on collaborating again soon. Um, And even at the yoga studio, doing a little toe dip for some people on intuition. So thank you, Lori. I love you. You have anything Mm -hmm. last you want to say before we... Thank you all for being here today. Thank you for listening all the way through. Thank you for your presence in the world. Please, um, again, go find Lori on social media or um, find her website, look at her IPC program, check out what she's doing. Uh, Keep your eyes peeled on both of our sites for collaborative efforts from she and I and future events. I so appreciate you. I'm grateful for you. And thank you for everything you're doing to light up your corner of the world. Have a good one.